Good morning, Hope Church. I'm so excited to be with you all as always. Um, if you're not if we're not familiar with each other, my name's Andrew. Uh, some of you know me as a church planner in Lexington at Commonwealth City Church. Um, some of you know me as Jeff's son. I actually get to be both roles. I guess I should say Jeff and Julie's son. It's not uh, unilateral there. And maybe and mom's probably definitely the better half. So, um, but I always keep my ear to the ground concerning concerning Hope Church. And I just want to say, like, as, as I get to hear um, Dad and Mom talk about the things that are going on at Hope and Logan and so many others, like, it's just, um, it's just a joy to, like, hear of your commitment to make disciples. And I'm one of them. So it's also fun to recognize that you've made this one, helped make this one, you're helping making so many more. And in this Lent season, as we focus our hearts and our minds on um, these things that we're supposed to think about, to be motivated by, to dwell on. Uh, it's, just, it's just, again, a testimony of what it looks like to just celebrate your commitment to really cherish and love um, and move at the speed of Jesus. So today, we're going to be in Philippians 4, 8, which we've been in, uh, in this Lent season. And I'm going to read it for us. You can stand if you want. If you're at home, you can stand, you can sit, you can do whatever you want. I'm already standing, T standing. So we're going to stand as we read Philippians 4, 8, and it says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything of excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about such things. Let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, we just pray that as we open your word this morning, as we um, open your word together, that you just remind us, as we focus in on what is just, you just remind us of justice that is judgment and justice that is for us and then justice that is from us. Um, God, we just pray that you just uh, center our hearts on that. We pray that your spirit preach a second sermon um, that, that knows exactly how to communicate what we need to hear, uh, who we need to be, and how we need to be um, commissioned to live this out. And so, Lord, we, we thank you, we trust you, and we just ask that you're with us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, whatever is just. Whatever is just. Now, if we were to zoom out just a little bit from this passage of Scripture and read a couple of the verses around it, um, verse 6 and 7 we know really well, and this peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. And then verse 9, what you learned and have received and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. It's interesting that somewhere between um, the peace of God that guards your heart and the God of peace that will be with you, we are supposed to notice and dwell on stuff that is true and noble and pure and lovely and excellent and as we arrive today on things that are just. So today we unpack how we recognize what is just. And so we have three points today concerning whatever is just and why we must be lovers of justice. You know, we see this in Micah chapter 6, a verse that many of us are familiar with. That we need to be people that act justly, that love mercy, and that walk humbly with our God. And so the first reason we must love justice is because it transforms our identity. Now for us to really understand how it transforms our identity, we have to understand with where we start. I'm going to look at Romans chapter 3 verses 23 and 24. In fact, we're going to be rolling through 
a bunch of scripture today. Romans 3, 23 and 24, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's where we start. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But, and here's where our word comes in, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 5, Paul unpacks it even more. He says that since we are justified by his blood. So there's this concept of justice and justification and things that are just that is that are threaded all throughout scripture. So we have to ask the question, what does justification mean? Now, I don't know if you've ever been in an argument or, or not or had a disagreement with somebody and when your side to argue or your side to plead your case or to explain yourself happens or arrives, well, what do we say? We say that Oh, you are justifying your behavior. You're trying to make right or make explainable why you did what you did, um, why you saw it that way, what your perspective was. We understand the concept of justification when it comes to like relational conflict or, or, or pleading our case or maybe even defending ourselves. But, but really the understanding of justification means the act of being made right. Now, like I said, I've justified my behavior in friendships and in relationships and and in you know, the way that I work and, and the way that I recreate, like I've justified decisions that I've made. But when it comes to our faith, we actually can't justify ourselves. Like there's nothing we can say. There's nothing we can prove. There's nothing we can explain. Or there's nothing we can do to make up for the place that we start, which is to be a sinner. We can't make ourselves right. In fact, all we bring to the table is brokenness. I don't bring any solution to the table. I bring a lot of brokenness to the table. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, Paul is writing again another letter similar like the one in similar to the one in Philippians. He says, God has forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Did you catch that part? There's a record of debt that we carry. Now, no, that's not me like assuming you have a note on your car or on your house. I'm not talking about your mortgage. I'm not talking about um, your car payment. I'm not talking about your student loans. There's a record of debt we carry, and that's our sin. That's our sin. Our sin nature that we were born into means that we start with a record of debt, but the sins that we also commit, and we do indeed commit them, also shows on our record of debt, and every single one of us carry it. If we were to look at the Ten Commandments, if we were to look at the, the character and the, the laws of God, we, we couldn't stand against it. We would fall short, like the verse that we read in Romans says, every single time. And so the problem with sin is that it's not just a mere mistake or a misstep. Sin has an enormous cost. Romans 6.23 tells us that the cost or that the wages or the payment of sin is in fact death. Now that seems pretty intense. Here's what's even crazier. God is right to punish sin in death. He's right to do it. He's not unfair to do it. He's correct in doing it. He is, his perfection can only treat sin with his wrath. That's it. Now I don't mean just generally speaking. Oh, we know God hates sin. I mean personally too. I don't know about you, but I've grown up hearing the phrase, Oh, God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. The problem is the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible actually says, yeah, he does love the sinner, and that's how we know Jesus, but 
The sin in a person actually makes the person an object of his wrath. You want to not take my word for it? How about this? Proverbs 10, 29. There is destruction for the one who does evil. Proverbs 21. When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but it is a terror to evildoers. Psalm chapter 9. You make the wicked perish. He's talking about the Lord. And then Psalm 11. And this one, this one is where I get that. Psalm 11. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates those that are wicked. I don't know about you. Those are pretty scary verses. But I think we have to recognize those to understand the weight and the, the, uh, the full like recognition of his wrath. But notice that verse in Proverbs chapter 21. When justice is done, it is a terror to evildoers, but it is a joy to those that are righteous. So that begs the question, how does one become righteous? How is one made right? How do we, go back to that justification piece, how are we made right? Is it by our church attendance? Is it by how much we put in an offering plate? Is it by uh, how often we take communion? Is it by how many Bible verses we've read or that we know? Is it by how we can answer the great questions of our faith? No, that's not how we're made right. We are made right only by the work of Jesus. So if I'm going to give you some scary verses of God hating sin and his wrath burning against it, and even those who commit it, then I have to also give you some good verses too. Verses like 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he saw us and he loved us and he sent his son to be the atonement for our sins. Or how about this? In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, it says that we see him, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of his death so that by the grace of God, he, Jesus, might taste death on behalf of everyone. Or how about Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4? For God has done what the law, what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do. He's done what the law could not do. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for our sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Check that verse out in Romans chapter 8 again. He condemned sin in the flesh. Whose flesh did God condemn sin in? Praise the Lord, it's not mine and yours. He condemned it in the flesh of Jesus. Whose sin did he condemn? Not Jesus's. He condemned mine and your sin in the person of Jesus. Oh, that we might believe that and that we might worship it. How about another one? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21, it says, For our sake, for our sake, mine and yours, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the really good part of understanding our justification. Why must we love justice? Because it transforms our identity. In fact, if we place our trust in Jesus, if we see and hear the good news of Jesus, that he took our sin for us, to free us, to save us, and, as, and, and we say to that, yes, I want that. I want that to be my story. Then I have good news. If you see Jesus and you say you want what he's done to apply to you, then it does. 
That's the really good news. And it's like, wait, that's it? There's not more to do? There's not, no, there's not more to do. There's just believe. In fact, his word says that anyone who calls on his name will be saved. He wants none to perish and all to come to the understanding that Jesus did that for me and you. It is by that grace, as Paul would write in Ephesians, it is by that grace, unmerited favor, that you and I can be saved. So if you trust Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, and you want his work to apply to you, then it does. And because it can, and because it does, we can now rethink the word judgment. That's like a dirty word, isn't it? Don't judge me. I don't want judgment. I don't want anybody to judge me. But we can rethink judgment. If you're a believer in Jesus, judgment is no longer against you. It's for you. We talk about communion. And I've heard this said at Hope Church. I've said it at Commonwealth. I don't know if it's said every week, but we talk about when we take the communion elements. And we take the cup. And we take the bread. Or in our current pandemic season. Now, you and your house, if you're watching this via live stream, you might actually have like good grape juice and some good bread. But when we're in person, it's the, you know, little single serving wafer combo. Um, not, the, not the most uh, flavorful of approaches to communion. But when we take communion, we sometimes say that when you take communion, you eat and drink the judgment of God in your life. Now that sounds like, whoa, I don't know if I want that or not. But here's good news. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you say, I want the work of Jesus to apply to my life, then the judgment you eat and drink on your life is for you. It doesn't condemn you. Because it condemned him on your behalf. I've heard Billy Graham say before, one of the most you know, famous evangelists uh, in history, says that we're all going to get a judgment day, right? We're all going to get a judgment day. When we die, we stand before the Lord. But if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, your judgment day happened at the cross of Jesus. It doesn't happen uh, before God's throne, some future tense. It happened at the cross of Christ. And that is really, really good news. If you trust Jesus, then the judgment on your life is one of favor and one of blessing and one of promise. It's not one of condemnation. And the good news, even better news is it never will be. So I want to take you on a little journey here, a little exercise, if you will. This might be different. I ask you to do something maybe a little uncomfortable. But in Hebrews chapter 4, we see this concept of entering the throne room of grace, of grace, the throne of God, throne of grace, with confidence. In fact, in chapter 7 and 8, the author unpacks it even more. Uh, he says that we have a high priest, Jesus, who gives us access to the most holy place. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, there were these temples, there were these things called the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest could go in there, and he would commune with the Lord in there. But the author of Hebrews actually says those were kind of like symbolic, that there's actually a true holy of holies, there's actually a true most holy place, and that's in heaven, and that's where God the Father is. And he says that we now have access to that. We now have access to that most holy place because of the work of Jesus. So, so here's our exercise. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to take a deep breath. I want you to imagine a huge hallway with this incredible detail and these, these um, you know, super valuable uh, you know, accessories and lights and things along the wall, candles, gold furnishings. I want you to imagine as you walk down that hall, you approach a breathtaking throne room. I don't know what the most impressive room you've ever seen is. 
in the world. I, I don't know if it's at a cathedral somewhere, if it's maybe in a castle or a palace, if it's a, a building of great history or great architectural development, but I want you to imagine the most breathtaking room you've ever seen. The entryways are all opened for you. A red carpet is rolled out as you approach, and there is a majestic throne, and on it, the Lord. You can imagine that there are people that have stood before him, maybe trembled with fear, but as you approach, he calls you by name. Can you hear it? He says to you, come, son, or come, daughter. And he invites you up before his throne, not to stand in fear, but to take a place seated on his knee. And he asks you what worries you. He asks you what concerns you. He asks you what makes you anxious or what makes you scared. He says to you that he's proud of you. He tells you that he loves you. Can you feel him saying that? And when you hem haul around and look the other way as he showers praise and adoration on you, he reminds you that he means it and that you belong right here. Now open your eyes. You belong here. Adored and cherished by the God of all creation, not because of your work, but because of the work of his dearly loved son, Jesus. So that's why we love justice. It's because it transforms our identity. You can't love Christ too much. You can't think about him too much, and you can't think him too much. You can't depend on him too much. You can't honor him too much. He transforms our identity. The second thing he does is he informs our movement. He informs the way we live and move and breathe in the world. If you really love and recognize all that is just, you will move around this world in a different way. You will care about different things. We've asked this question before, but I never stop asking it. In fact, if you were convinced that Jesus right now in 2021 were to show up in your city in Lawrenceburg or Frankfurt or for me in Lexington, where are you convinced would be the first place he goes? Do you know where I think he would go? I don't think he would go to a church house. I don't think he would go to a religious center. I think he would go to places of injustice. And he would show up there. If someone is really walking in the Spirit, like we talked about in Romans chapter 8 earlier, if someone's really walking in the Spirit, it should be as if they have an allergic reaction to injustice. You should itch when you get around it. It should be concerning to you. Now, I don't know what injustice is, you think of when you first think of injustice, they may be the same as mine, they might be different, but we can name a few. It can be injustice like racism. It can be injustice like abortion. It can be injustice like crippling poverty or human trafficking or sex trafficking. It can be injustices like abuse or neglect. It can be injustices like fatherlessness. What we need to agree on is Jesus raged against all of them. He was allergic to them. He turned over tables he radically loved a prostitute at Simon the Pharisee's house. He spoke to a woman sitting at a well. And in fact, she was the first person in the Bible that got to hear the Son of God say, I am who you think I am. He showed up at the death of a friend and saw a bunch of grievers. And he was angry, not because his friend passed away, but because he saw the in the unjust ripple effect of what death really does. And when we talk about this allergic reaction, so to speak, to justice, to injustice, 
Here's something we need to recognize. It doesn't belong to a political party. It belongs to the kingdom of God. Wanting children to be born, wanting um, equality for uh, people that don't look the same, for everybody to be equal, wanting trafficking to stop and waging war against the substance that are killing our friends and our neighbors right and left are not political or societal issues. They are kingdom of God issues. And Jesus' heart broke over those injustices 2,000 years ago, and it breaks over them today. And if we're walking in our new identity of understanding justice poured out for us, then we must also walk in a way that pursues it for others. So we think about whatever is just because it informs the way we live and we move in the world. As we participate in eradicating injustices that we see, the ones that we itch at, it tells our world a different and a better story. And the last one, we must think about whatever is just because it's an anchor for our hope and it promotes our endurance. I was talking to a friend the other day who was on the way to a funeral of a 39-year-old lady in his church that passed away from cancer. And he said, I'm going to have to talk about heaven today, Andrew. But I don't know if I can adequately say what heaven is. All I know is what heaven isn't. That's this side of it. All we know here is what heaven isn't, but we get the antidefinition of this place for what we long for in the future. Wiping away every tear is an act of justice. Ending every sorrow is an act of justice. Restoring our bodies to a state that they will no longer deteriorate is an act of justice. But most importantly, seeing the worthy one, the only worthy one who is worthy to take the scroll and to open it, Seeing him in a place of honor for all eternity is an act of justice. Being invited to that is an act to that reality as participants is an act of justice. But not, ju- not judgment on us, judgment for us. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The good news of Jesus fruit is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. Now in our country, we have a pledge. People put their hand on their heart and they say liberty and justice for all. But the Bible would say, True freedom or liberty and true justice are for all who believe in Jesus. Whatever is just becomes an anchor for our hope. We won't ever experience perfect justice here, but we will one day. And we will one day experience a reality, as the storybook Bible tells us, where every sad thing becomes untrue. That's a true day that justice reigns. How much do you and I long for that day? So Paul told us in Philippians 4 to dwell or to think about whatever is just. And so we're doing that today. Why? Because whatever is just reminds us of the transformation of our identity. Whatever is just reminds us how we are to let that identity, new identity, inform the way we live and move in the world. And whatever is just anchors our hope and promotes our endurance. And as we close, I just want to remind you of this. Justice has a synonym, and his name is Jesus. In fact, this month, we're celebrating a lot of things through our history. And Dr. King once said that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it always bends towards justice. But you and I, we have an even clearer understanding. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it actually always bends towards Jesus. So thinking on whatever is just is important, but recognizing the just one is even more important. So let's take a little trip today, pull our car off the side of the road, get out, 
and stop and gaze at the one who actually enacts justice for us, Jesus. Let's pray. Um, Jesus, we thank you so much for your truth. We thank you so much for your work. Um, We thank you that we can see things as true and noble and honorable and just and praiseworthy and excellent, Uh, not because we are uh, fantastic at picking those things out or, or recognizing them, but because your finished work gives us a new lens uh, and a new set of ears and a new heart to experience the world you've created for us. God, I pray that you remind us this week uh, of your just work over us, of your justice for us, that, that uh, you took uh, the, the penalty that was due us to make us your dearly loved sons and daughters. God, we, we thank you for that. Um, we pray that you give us those, that lens to see you as the just one. But we also pray that you uh, motivate and promote within us uh, reasons to run to places of injustice and say, we have a better story, we have a better offer, we have a better understanding, and we do so with our eyes, whatever is just, on a hope that whatever is just is going to eventually become whenever is just, and that's when we arrive. Um, at the eternity you have in front of us. So Lord, we love you. We thank you as we take communion today. May we eat and drink judgment on our life. May we celebrate that that judgment was paid for in the work of Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.